Hello everyone, welcome once again to Reasons for Hope. We're glad you're joining us today. Reason for Hope, in case it's your first time with us, is now along live broadcast, which is guided by your questions on the Bible. That's right, you can guide the show along with your questions. Whatever question you have about the Bible, maybe a, a specific verse, uh, something that's confused you, uh, maybe something you're going through in your life even, you'd like a biblical perspective. What does God say about um, your circumstances, uh, lifestyles, the state of the world, you know, the government, all the different choices we make, anything, any Bible question that you have that you want to send in to us, we are more than happy to delve, I haven't said that word for a while, delve into the word to find the answer. <laughs> we, we mocked you so thoroughly about it, <laughs> yeah. we got it geared you for a while, but I, it's back. I took a break <laughs> yeah. from delving, yeah. but I'm back yeah. again. Yeah. Um, yes, you can send those questions in, and uh, again, the answers are going to come from the word as accurately as we possibly can with God's help. We want to give you an answer straight from Scripture. So I'll be going over those platforms in a moment, but you're welcome to send those in. And how exciting is that? You can guide the show, the content, by your questions. So don't be shy. Do reach out on those platforms with your questions, and um, we would love to get to those today. My name's Dave Robson. I'm your host, and as I mentioned, I'll be on all those platforms, fielding those questions as they come in with us today. We have Pastor Scott Richards. He's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. You doing good today? In fact, I am, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, on both counts. Yes. I am the senior pastor, and I'm doing good today. <laughs> good, good on both counts. Yeah, thanks for being well, here. Well, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Trying to do good. Yeah. Doing well. Well, yeah. we know, yeah. yeah. We, know. <laughs> we all struggle, brother. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. And uh, Pastor Sean Richards as well. Your, how's it go? Your, your right-hand man, protege, all-around all good, good guy. guy. That's right. Sean, <laughs> how you Let doing? others speak well of you, not yourself. <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's, that's, always, that's always good. And I missed the opportunity for an all-blue shirt day. My favorite days are the all-blue shirt, and I'm wearing a black shirt. So I'm sorry I failed. I let you down. You could pretend it's navy. I could. Yeah. No, I don't know if I yeah. could. Well, maybe with the backdrop, it's yeah. trying enough it. But oh well, that's not what's important. What's important is we're going to get in the word today with you and your questions, and we're excited <laughs> about that. As I mentioned, a reason for hope. It's a live broadcast Monday through Friday. We're with you live from five to six p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard Time. And of course, you can join us all around the world because we're on the internet. What a wonder that is! And so we're glad that you join us from all around. Uh, the world. It's an outreach and ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. So if you're in the Tucson area and looking for somewhere to fellowship, uh, you're more than welcome to come and, and check us out. We're right by uh, Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. It's a pretty uh, convenient location there. Um, so check us out. CalvaryChristianFellowship.com is our website. If you'd like to get some more information, reach out to us through there or on the show, CalvaryChristianFellowship.com. Um, if you go to that watch live tab from our website, that's our live page. Whenever we're live, we stream to there. Our service is here at CCF, but also, of course, a reason for hope uh, that we're doing right now. You'll see a countdown to the next show and a schedule of upcoming events when we're offline. But as we're online, you'll see the video. You can sign in with a username, and then there'll be a chat function. You can send your question in, and I'll be watching and waiting there <coughs> for your questions. ccftucson.online.church is the direct link if you want to type that into your browser ccftucson.online.church uh, or uh, follow the link as I mentioned from calvarychristianfellowship.com take it to the same place uh, we're on Facebook as well facebook.com slash ccftucson hopefully we're live today uh, a couple of days ago we had technical issue with that but yesterday was good so hopefully today is good as well sometimes there's problems in the communication with Facebook out of our control uh, but we are hopefully Lord willing live facebook.com slash ccftucson or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson We'd love it if you would like and share 
to just help spread this ministry. But that's another way you can send in your question in the chat box that's attached to the video there. We have an app as well for your mobile device, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Uh, search for that in your app store. Look for that red background with the Calvary Chapel Dove logo. That's our app. And we have a channel that's on Roku and a channel on Apple TV as well. So go to your channel store and you can add us as a channel if you look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson as well. We're on YouTube Live as well. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel. So if you look for A Reason for Hope, you'll find us there on YouTube. And uh, don't forget to like and subscribe and click on the notification bell and all that good stuff. Uh, but once again, that's another way you can send your question in in the uh, chat box there, the comment section on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. Um, also, if you follow that live tab, uh, it's a great place for archive shows. It's archived there automatically whenever we're live. So if you missed the show, you want to recap or even uh, watch one of our services here at uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship, you can do all that right there on YouTube. And we post um, uh, questions of the week and other content as well on YouTube. So check that out. Our pastor here, Scott Richards, who I just introduced to you, is on Twitter, Scott R4H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. He posts highlights from the show and uh, commentary on things going on in the world, um, uh, news events and things as it you know, relates to end times and uh, biblical prophecy and things like that. So if you're on Twitter and you'd like to follow along with Pastor Scott, you're more than welcome to do that too. Scott R4H there on Twitter. We're on Rumble as well. We're not live on Rumble, but we post uh, videos there, uh, archive videos, so a reason for hope, Bible Q&A. And then we have an email address, of course, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for hope spelled out at gmail.com. You can shoot us an email right there. Send us your question. I'll be checking that throughout the show. Uh, welcome if you're listening to us on Reach Radio or another radio affiliate. Drive safely if you're on your drive time. Thank you for tuning in. I've heard from several people who listen uh, to us on their drive. So do be careful out there in rush hour. Um, but keep in mind that you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. We're not live on the radio with you. It's yesterday's show, basically. But questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address if you want to send us a question there when it's safe to do so. And we'll get to that on our next show. So with all that being said, once again, please send your question in. Uh, get them in early uh, for we would love to explore the, the questions on your heart today. We never know where it's going to go. And uh, it's always very interesting and um, exciting, really, to do that. So, uh, well, at this point, we usually love to pause to pray because of um, it's kind of heavy what we're doing. We're handling God's word. Yeah. You know? Yeah, big time. We want to do that well. So, Sean, would you like to pray today? Absolutely. That'd be great. And thank you that we have the chance to be here. We invite you to be here as well, to speak your word, your heart, and to your people. We're honored to be a part of the process. We ask that you would make it meaningful. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. Amen. It amen is true. to that. Well, we have a few questions to, to kick us off already as your questions come on in on your various platforms there. Um, is it biblical and a good practice to lay out a fleece before God when trying to make a decision or seek direction? Now, this is a kind of an Old Testament thing. It was Gideon, right, who laid yeah. out a fleece. Yeah, it's uh, found in Judges chapter 6, uh, beginning at uh, verse 36. Uh, God had... Uh, called Gideon to uh, stand up and uh, defeat uh, the armies of the Midianites uh, who had vastly outnumbered uh, the Israelites. It's going to be a great step of faith, and Gideon is commended for taking this step of faith 
in the book of Hebrews. He's listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith as a result of all of this. Mm. Uh, but uh, Gideon's faith uh, was a work in progress uh, when uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, uh, mighty warrior. He probably thought, uh, do you have a mouse in your pocket? Who could you be talking to? Because Gideon was uh, threshing wheat in a, uh, a, uh, a vineyard area there. Uh, when you would thresh wheat, you would go up on the top of hills to take advantage of the prevailing wind. When you would uh, crush grapes after harvesting them, you'd take the grapes downhill to the wine vats uh, because it was easier to take things downhill than going uphill. So threshing <laughs> still wheat, to this day, <laughs> uh, threshing wheat in a uh, in a uh, vineyard uh, situation was kind of a, a fool's errand because you wouldn't get much breeze down there. And the only reason he was doing that was because the Midianites had come in and every time the Israelites would have any food at all, they'd come in like locusts and steal it. And that's important to understand why he was laying out the fleece. But Yeah. So the, the, the bottom line is uh, the, the Lord uh, encouraged him. Uh, in fact, uh, in the uh, Gideon uh, said uh, that... Uh, the, he goes, alas, O God, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. Uh, it's still there uh, to that day. So, uh, you know, again, uh, the angel of the Lord directed him to take out his father's Asherah pole, uh, which didn't uh, win a, a lot of friends, but then to take it even a step further that he was going to be the deliverer of Israel from this Midianite scourge. Well, you know, again, here you've got this guy, uh, Gideon. He takes a great step of faith and suddenly has this big pushback. And just like us, uh, being normal, regular human beings, um, he needed some confirmation. And so in verse 36 of Judges chapter 6, So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece only... And it is dry all on the ground, and I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said. And it was so. When he rose early in the morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak once more. Let me test, I pray, just one more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew all uh, on all the ground. Mm. So we've got this situation where uh, Gideon comes up with a sign to confirm what God has already told him. He has already had an encounter with the angel of the Lord. We believe that this was an encounter with the uh, pre-incarnate Jesus mm -hmm. meeting him there. Uh, you know, again, you have this supernatural event. God was with him, certainly, in dealing with the, Ashtra, uh, the Asherah pole and, and so on. Uh, but uh, it, it wasn't enough for him. Uh, he was going to say, I need a sign. I need a wonder. So he comes up with this idea. Okay, I'm going to lay out this fleece. Uh, if there's dew in the fleece and the ground's dry, I'll know you sent me. So God does it. Well, what happens? And he goes, well, hmm, maybe that was just dumb luck, <laughs> which is a silly thing to be saying when you're seeking the will of God, but uh, says, okay, I'm going to do the opposite now. Uh, the fleece will be dry, but there'll be dew all over the ground. So, you know, again, God indulges him, and I think he indulges him 
first of all, because he understood uh, the material that he was working with. Uh, was Israel Sean at a highlight moment in their walk with God at this point? Not even necessarily to their access with God, and that's why God would humor Gideon at this point, because not only was he in a situation where basic farming, going to the grocery store, was taking your life into your own hands, imagine how much more of a risk it was to go down to Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, where one could read the Torah and say, is this the God that revealed himself to Moses? Gideon couldn't verify this, and God never expects anyone to trust him without verification to his word, or in this case, what they need. If he had his word, he could fall back on that. He didn't have access, or at least immediate necessary access, to his word to know God was speaking. Aside so, from the fact that the angel of the Lord spoke to him, and he acknowledged that he was the angel of the Lord. But yeah. in following through with that, verifying, no, I come from a Hebrew background, maybe this was a dream, maybe this was a hallucination, God made sure to give Gideon everything, emphasis, he needed to trust him with reason. right? And if that was, of course, in his situation, not just a direct appearance, but a verification through nature miracles, we see that at the time where they only had the Torah, they only had the first five books of Moses, that was limited in of itself. And what were they given? If you need a miracle, you get a miracle. If you don't need a miracle, then you can just trust me and we can spare uh, half a chapter, I guess. Right. But that's the point of emphasis. That's why in this situation, Gideon was given the, I guess, grace to test the Lord, not put him to a foolish test, but give him what he needed to trust him. Right. As opposed to in our situation, which is where it doves into the question, are we in a situation where we don't have access to God's word? just the opposite more than any other point in history. Are we in a situation where we're for want, for reasons to trust God? No, we're definitely in a place where we have more access to evidence to support the Bible and the reasons to trust it than any other time in history. But if we're going to put ourselves in the fleece lane situation, it would either have to be a mark against our own intelligence that we're so stubborn and inept as far as our biblical understanding is concerned that we need a miracle because what God's already given us isn't enough, or we're in a situation, say, um, isolated in you know, the outer skirts of a Chinese village or something where the government's put a cap on access to the Bible, I need a miracle to trust these missionaries. That would be appropriate. But if you're in a situation like most people in the world where you can come to conclusions with the information you have, it's not a mark of faith. It's, uh, well, more of a Exodus 4 type of situation where God's going to get kind of irritated. Yeah, and, and uh, again, we see that, to be fair, Gideon's faith was a work in progress. Yeah. He does, even with this partial, uh, boy, you better give me another sign, and you know, one thing I've discovered about asking God for signs uh, to confirm his will for your life, you know, it's kind of like the old Lay's potato chip uh, uh, slogan. I bet you can't eat just one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go, okay, well, I got that sign, but how do I know it's a real sign? And, and, and so on. It almost reminds me of the uh, atheist dodge about saying, if God wants me to believe in him, why doesn't he just appear to me in the sky tonight? Yeah. Well, the, the obvious answer to that is, uh, okay, uh, the next morning, uh, you would probably end up, uh, much like Richard Dawkins said, even if God did something like that, you would say, well, there must be some other explanation. Perhaps it was extraterrestrials. Okay. You know, signs, 
are, are great when they happen, but like you said, Sean, if you need a miracle, then you've got it. But if you don't have it, well, okay, why wouldn't God give us a sign at this point? Mm. Well, perhaps there's this interesting phenomena about growing in our faith, uh, learning to trust God, uh, learning to stand on his word. Yep. And, and so when people look at what was going on with Gideon and saying, you know, um, this is normative. You know, this is how we're going to trust God. Mm. You know, I'm going to go get uh, some wool and put it out there and, and say, God, you got to do this or that. You know, like you mentioned, Sean, one of the problems that Gideon had was a lack of access to God's truth. Yep. Uh, we have an incredible resource of God's truth. And, you know, when people will then bring up the operative question, all right, if laying out a fleece to God, okay, give me this sign, you know, God, help me make this traffic light if you want me to, to do something. Right. You know, after a while you're like, well, how do I know it wasn't just, you know. Uh, Secrets of the lights. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if someone says, okay, God, give me a sign, help me, uh, show me by, you know, me flipping this coin and it, uh, coming up heads, a uh, hundred times in a row, that might be an impressive sign. Yep. But the funny thing about people that ask God for signs I've discovered over the years, and even in my own heart, I've seen it, is what we're looking for is not direction. What we're looking for is confirmation. Hmm. Not necessarily confirmation we're walking in God's will, but confirmation that God is going to go along with something we've already figured out hmm. is God's will. Yeah. In Gideon's case, I have to give him props because the last thing in the world he wanted to be was the deliverer of Israel. And maybe that's why we see Gideon being mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith, along with uh, the events of the battle with the Midianites with 300 Israelites and, and so on. Uh, that required quite a bit of faith. And we see Gideon's faith beginning in a, in a very doubtful place, in a very fear-dominated place. He sees God. He understands who God is. He is trying to grow. God, uh, in a sense, helps him along in this process, but he brings him to a place where he's gonna really have to put it on the line one way or the other. And, and, and so uh, when people will come to me and they'll say, okay, so asking God for signs and wonders isn't the best way of uh, determining God's will. Right. You know, a sign is only as good as it points you in the right direction. Well, how do we know we're going in the right direction? Well, that begs the issue to me and that is, um, are we walking in God's will? Okay, how do we know God's will? Well, uh, I think it was Paul Little, the great Christian writer, an apologist who once said, did you ever realize that the vast majority of God's will for your life has already been revealed to us in the Bible? This is a crucial thing to grasp. Uh, when people will come to me and they'll say, oh, I really need to know God's will, you know, what should I do? Well, one of the passages I point them to is uh, in uh, the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. I even put together uh, an acrostic for this that helps people to remember. G-U-I-D-E. The first thing is give the situation to God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Uh, the U in the acrostic stands for understand related scriptures. Don't rely on your own understanding. Look for 
relevant passages in God's Word that apply to your situation. Now, I realize at this point some people say, well, you know, you're a pastor and you spend all this time studying the Bible. I don't know the Bible that well. How, how am I going to find those things? I, I always tell people, uh, take the Proverbs challenge, I call it. Open up the book of Proverbs and start reading. Yep. And if within three to five minutes you don't find some incredibly applicable biblical principles that apply specifically to your situation, yep. uh, you can have your money back. Yeah. You might just put your reading glasses on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, with me, you know, if I find myself feeling like, wow, I just really don't know, I will do that. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing how the Lord will show me, even in just the book of Proverbs itself, uh, what he wants, wants to do. So understand related scriptures. The I stands for invest today in walking with God. Mm-hmm. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Sometimes we put our whole life on hold while we're waiting for the big go-ahead and the big revelation and God, you got to show me what to do. But you know, the, the funny thing about life is it's so daily. Um, you know, oftentimes if we just find ourselves cultivating a hand in hand relationship with Jesus just today, you know, if he's got our heart, he can take care of putting us where we need to be. So invest this day in walking with God, uh, lean on your understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Uh, you know, again, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Decide you're going to do things in a biblical manner, not just things pertaining to the area that you're looking for guidance in, but across the board in your life. And then the E in our acrostic stands for expect guidance. He's going to make your path straight. And, and this is the cool thing. God is far more interested in guiding us right. than we are being gid, if you will. Yeah. Uh, he, he doesn't want us to, you know, just flop around in the dark, yep. you know, but we have to realize the resources have been given. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, well, the lamps in those days weren't these big, you know, quartz halogen numbers, see somebody up on Mount Lemmon from a distance with them. Uh, They were lamps that would give you just enough light to make the next step. Mm. And that's kind of how God guides. It's it's kind of a daily thing. Okay, Uh, I don't know where I'm going to be 20 years from now, but I can make a decision that, you know, I'm going to keep my eyes on God for the next 20 minutes. I think I can do that. And, and, and if, I, if I chop up my life in smaller pieces, you yeah. see, then 20 minutes is going to lead into two hours, is going to lead into two days, is going to lead into 20. Pretty soon, I'm going to be right where God wants me to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, very good. But anything you'd add to that? Oh, I already spoke. Okay. Uh, say it again. I have spoken. So <laughs> That's what you're getting yeah. for the whole show. Yeah. That's good. I like what you said, too, about sometimes we, you know, we're. Uh, we're not looking to be guided in something we've already kind of made up our mind and we're just hoping God will <laughs> allow us to carry on down that path. You know what I mean? I like to, I liked how you shared that. That's very true. Like I've already kind of made my mind up, but God, would you just, you know, if this isn't your will, then, then make this miracle happen. Like if we're honest with ourselves. Yeah. I think Chuck Smith once said that, uh, he saved an awful lot of time in his life when he finally decided that, uh, he wasn't going to pray to try to talk God into coming around to his way of thinking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That doesn't really work. Save a lot of time and energy doing that. Yeah. Uh, well, great question. Thank you for that, fellas. Um, question for, that we had from yesterday, too. What evidence is there that Jesus was a Jew? Do we have because evidence we were, that Jesus was a Jew? We're given both of his family histories dating all the way to the lineage of David, who was a Jew, and to Jacob, who was a Jew, and Isaac, 
who was a Jew and Abraham, who was a Jew. So if he's related to all these people through both of his parents, that would make him ethnically a Jew. Yeah, and, you know, as far as even the most solid definition of that term, the term Jew comes as a shortened firm, the term of Judah. Judah. Uh, you, you might recall from your biblical history that Israel had a civil war. The northern ten tribes referred to themselves as Israel. The southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, referred to themselves as Judah. Uh, the interesting thing is King David uh, came from Judah. Judah. And so, you know, when we see Jesus' lineage, you could not be more Judah Jewish than Jesus is. So, and, and the reason we have these genealogies was that was incredibly important to the people of that time. Uh, if you claim to be the Messiah, the first thing they would say is, well, okay, what's your connection to David? Because God promised David that he would have a son whose uh, rule would never end. And so the people of Israel knew that the Messiah had to be not just from the tribe of Judah, but had to be a descendant of David. And so that's why we see those two genealogies there in Luke and Matthew. Ah, good. Thank you. Thank you for that. Oh, let's see, next question here. Oh, I, I'll mention um, we seem to fail to stream to Facebook. Um, it's happened uh, twice again. this week again. Um, again. Again. Yep, we're in talks with our streaming company. We produce our show, we send it to our streaming company. They send it out to the platforms. And I'm seeing that Facebook is in the starting position not starting up, not going, and so they're aware of it, and we're working on the reason for that. I've heard some other customers are also experiencing that, so something to do with the relationship uh, between our company and Facebook. But anyway, working on that, we apologize for that, but uh, once again, that's why I go over those other platforms, calvarychristianfellowship.com, you can find us there, and on YouTube, and all those other places. But um, let us see here. Question from uh, Leah. Uh, why does God choose some and not others? Uh, when it came to David's son, so uh, I'll sin. Sorry, thank that. you. Yeah, uh, David sinned. David sinned greatly. Yet God wasn't done with him. Saul sinned as well, but God was done with him. Uh, why Jacob and not Esau, etc. Et and I guess we could relate that to salvation too. You know, why does God, if salvation is a gift from God, why does God save some and not others? Yeah, the conversations I think leaving out half the Bible when they make that conclusion the status quo. Obviously, God is sovereign, and we can go to many passages to that, but also man is free and morally culpable for the decisions that he makes. We believe in a God that's big enough for both to exist at the same time. So when Scripture affirms sovereignty, it's obvious passages like Jesus stating to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you that you should go and bear fruit. But other passages, noting all the way back to the foundations of Scripture, noting I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that you may live. When Jesus said, you did not choose me, I chose you. That's no more an empty or deceptive statement than God to put good things before his people and saying, here's your decision, make up your mind, as if such a thing were possible. So we affirm what scripture would affirm, but we don't deny what each group and their special emphases would deny. When we look to the account of Esau, we read of him despising his birthright, that he found no repentance, that he wanted nothing to do with the true and living God, 
his decision to reject a relationship with God wasn't God's decision. It was a reflection of Esau's own attitude towards God when, as we read in Malachi 1, it says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. You look at his relationship with Jacob, and you know he had to drag that guy into making the two or so good decisions he made in his entire life, kicking and screaming all through the process. Esau couldn't even manage that. Now, noting that God doesn't bet on losers, he understands the decisions we'll make in advance, but it wasn't as if Esau was set up to fail. Being from the messianic family of Abraham and Isaac, having access to and witnessing the sort of miracles that Jacob was also privy to, and being blessed by the Lord and having more access to information about the Lord than anyone else on the planet, he still chose to reject God and his descendants after him. We talked about that yesterday in Ezekiel. So noting that decision and looking at others, you mentioned not just Jacob and Esau, but excuse me, Saul and David. You read about the incident with the Amalekites. What was Saul's, I guess, go-to phrase whenever mentioning the Lord at all? Let's sacrifice to your God, yeah. Samuel. Yeah. Let's, don't uh, shame me in the eyes of the elders. Let's go and worship your God, Samuel, and on and on it went. And you see him basically out of paranoid delusions massacring the priests of God because he suspected that they were harboring David, who was anointed by God. So here's the point. When we look at a contrast of Saul and David's not just lives but attitudes, it wasn't as if one was more sinful than the other. You're 100% right about that. But we are talking about a difference in attitudes towards God in that when David messed up, where did that bring him? to his knees right. before God, asking for mercy. When Saul messed up, what was he trying to get appeasement for? His reputation. Saving face, sure. So yeah. that's the difference. The kind of people who choose God are the ones who choose God. The ones that God chooses are the ones that choose him. That when we, this is spiritual warfare in a nutshell, draw near to God, he draws near to us. He's not surprised by this. He's sovereign and all-knowing, but we do, in fact, make conscious decisions. Esau is repeatedly made the example in Scripture of the kind of person who is ruled by envy, bitterness, and short-sightedness, not considering the things of God at all, just his immediate appetites. See the lentil stew. You see Saul as the kind of person who was a lot more like David than we'd like to admit, except for one thing. He loved God, meaning David. He wanted a relationship with God. He hated any division in his fellowship with God. And when he sinned, he owned up to it. Saul didn't, and it ended up destroying his life and his mind as well. But that's the point. When we emphasize sovereignty at the expense of free will, we end up just as much in conflict with Scripture as when we emphasize free will at the expense of sovereignty. Right. We don't diminish God, nor do we make him out to be some tyrant who determines what we're punished for before we exist. That right. just doesn't make sense. Right. Right on. Yeah. yeah. Great. Great. Great answer. Awesome. Leah, thank you for that, that question. Um, thanks for being part of the show. A uh, question here from Christian but skeptical woman is the name. Okay, well, that, that's that's not a bad combination. No, no. not bad. To, no, I don't think that's the name on their birth certificate, but I could be wrong. Um, they ask, uh, "It begins at twelve and ends at 60. Uh, how? So, how was Sarah able to have a child at her age? It's scientifically impossible. So, how? Was wait, 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 <laughs> <Okay>. wait. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, well, again. 
remember the, uh, the, the dead giveaway here is the handle that we're dealing with here. When someone describes himself okay, as, <laughs> as... I'm trying to process this. Okay, well, uh, let, let, let me help. When someone describes themselves as being skeptical in our day and age, essentially that's shorthand, not for the fact that say, well, you know, I'm, I'm led by, you know, a, 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 a deep commitment to logic and reason. Uh, essentially what that means is I'm a materialist. And, and by that, what I mean is a materialist will say that there is no such thing as the supernatural, right. uh, that uh, God can't in, be involved and intervene in his creation uh, because we have figured out that everything can be explained by natural process over time. Yep. And, and so if you say to someone uh, that buys into all of this, uh, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, well, if you buy into naturalism, that's going to cause you to go tilt. Doesn't fit my paradigm. Uh, but if God, in fact, did create the heavens and the earth, as the Bible tells us, uh, that we can take that seriously because God walked among us in a moment of history in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, that Jesus, in fact, died on a cruel Roman cross and rose from the dead in a moment of history, a, a fact that can be verified, I believe, to the satisfaction of any fair inquirer. Sometimes we have to put aside, say, a, uh, the, the uh, materialistic goggles that we wear and, and say, okay, where does the data lead us? Where does history lead us? So when we see that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead uh, in a moment of history, we come back to this thing about uh, how could Sarah bear a child mm -hmm. uh, after the, the time of uh, normal childbirth and normal process involved? God intervened. Yeah. Period. So usually women are able to have children between the age of 12 and 60 is the point that yeah. she's making. So how could she even scientifically have a baby beyond that? Yeah, well, yeah. that's your, your uh, dead giveaway, yeah. scientifically. Yeah, let, let, right. again, the issue of skepticism, the term generally is meant to be understood as I'm not gullible. I, I don't just take evidence because, you know, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. If it comes down to an issue with, and that, that's an, a completely valid point about naturalism, the materialistic mindset is fundamentally incoherent because if we make the assumption that nothing exists beyond what is verifiable or scientifically measured in a test tube, first of all, the scientific method was invented by Christians who had a view of the supernatural. I don't understand a lot of the premises going on here, but if we're wanting to understand the fundamentals and the basics, I'd recommend Christian but Skeptical Woman, uh, a book written by Norman Geisler and co-authored by Frank Turek, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, where they deal with some fundamental questions that all build off one another in order to know, well, we need to be skeptical, not gullible, but we also need to be objective, not irrational in just dismissing all evidence because it doesn't suit an emotional fancy. And I say that frankly because that's oftentimes the real issue here. When it comes to skepticism, what needs to be true in order for things like Sarah conceiving at the age of 99 or 
Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, conceiving also at the time where she was literally, the text says, bent over in age in Luke chapter 1. This isn't hard if you grant not just the Gospel of John chapter 20, but literally the first verse of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. If there is a material universe that, of course, the concept of time exists within, then you've already admitted the basically the killing blow to the worldview known as materialism because God has intervened in a moment of history. He has introduced something into his creation, which is the creation that God can, in fact, act. And if you believe in a God, you call yourself a Christian, so at least I'll assume that much, that God could introduce a functional, a intelligent or an intelligent and a rational universe, one governed by laws like logic, from nothing, by sheer will alone, then him introducing a thing like, say for example, like we read in Genesis chapter 21, Sarah being able to not only conceive but nurse a child in extremely old age. That's that's small potatoes, to use the southern term. So when we're talking about this, what needs to be true for us to not be gullible, but also to be rational in our approach to God? This book will go through uh, essentially five main topics. There are more, but I'll just summarize for the sake of time. Is there such a thing as truth? And he'll go through the book and noting, well, if there is no such thing as truth, that would have to be true, which means that there is such a thing as truth. And then you end up having a a brain aneurysm trying to figure that out. So truth is one of those things that is true by definition. Does truth exist? Second, does God exist? Is it rational to believe in a, a being beyond this universe that could at least introduce concepts like truth, like matter, like those things? Not narrowing it down to Christianity, but just the concept of deism. That's all that they argue for, and they assume only information that atheists would allow in any conversation. Uh, some of the great books you can cross-reference this with is The Devil's Delusion by uh, Berlinski. He literally wrote like the atheist version of this book where he just calls out the, you know, internet trolls like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens and saying, you guys are kind of going beyond your field here because you're arguing bad philosophy in order to dismiss the concept. It's, uh, and he uses a lot of fun illustrations, but I'll, I'll digress. So does truth exist? Does God exist? Does the Bible get its facts straight and they go through the information regarding the Bible and what can be tested, not what's assumed by faith, whatever that means, but what can be known about the Bible. And finally, (laughs) did Jesus exist and did he rise from the dead? With those questions at the foundation, then you can justify the first word in your name title, what it means to be a Christian. But if we approach the rest of the Bible and say, well, maybe, you know, Sarah conceiving in her old age, maybe that's like an allegory or something. Uh, Let's just throw out Genesis and stuff. That's very inconsistent if we're willing to grant the sort of things that even atheists will grant about the Bible's claims. So 
pardon my confusion here, but the term science is, I think, just about as misunderstood and co-opted as skeptical because science is just a fact of observation. If it's historically observed that Sarah did in fact bear a child, and it was at least unique enough of a child that it was distinguished from Ishmael, whose lineage we can also trace historically, then it's a fact of science that she conceived. <laughs> now, whether it's mythological or not, you can call the Bible's authority into question, but not call yourself a Christian. If you can conclude the Bible is consistent on these facts and affirmed by other sources, well then, denying plain history, or at least being inconsistent with historical criticism, is not, not just Christian, it's not scientific, it's not historical, it's not rational. It's certainly not skeptical, because at least a skeptic is willing to listen to the evidence, not dismiss it on principle. What evidence is there that Sarah conceived? Well, God was obviously involved in her life and the life of her husband. He had made a promise to her and her husband a year before, and upon his return fulfilled that promise, introduced new factors into nature, which is allowed given the fact that nature is an introduction beyond nature. And on it goes. But be very, very careful with what's called the equivocation fallacy, using a word that could have multiple meanings and trying to carry it over to other conversations where it's just not warranted. Things like skepticism, things like evidence, things like noting the reality of materialism, which is a fundamentally incoherent worldview, and, dare I say it, even terms like Christian, because you can't call yourself a Christian if you challenge the very thing we learn what it means to be Christ-like. I'll, I'll go to town on that. And there's some, I mean, Christian evolutionists, right? And I think maybe the heart of that sometimes is to bridge that gap between Christianity and science, you know, quote unquote. Which um, evolution? <laughs> which is, you know, a disservice. You know, they're trying to make it more palatable. Well, maybe God used the Big Bang. Maybe God used evolution. And it seems that's what I found. They're trying to bridge that gap. But, you know, yeah, God and, is and, supernatural. And, and, you know, I think they have uh, great motives. But, uh, you know, in my days uh, not believing in God at all, uh, I found that when Christians would try to say to me things like, you know, oh, well, you can believe in evolution and believe in the Bible. Yeah. You know, I'd go, I don't know much about the Bible, but that doesn't seem to fit. <laughs> right. You know, I have a, a friend who's a retired attorney and uh, loves the great argument, self-professed uh, atheist. Uh, I asked him if he had all knowledge of all things in the universe. He said, no. I said, could there be a God in there somewhere? He went, okay, I guess I'm an agnostic. Hmm. But we'd have these conversations in, at, at the gym where I worked out. And he came out, I was running on the treadmill, came up to me, and, and uh, he just looked as, as, as happy as he could possibly, like the cat that ate the canary. And he, he stood in front of the treadmill where I was running, and he said, hey, I just got out of the sauna. I was in there with this pastor, and he told me, that you can believe in the book of Genesis and believe in evolution at the same time. Mm. And I kind of sighed and, and I hit the pause button. I go, okay, here we go. And what he said next, I never forgot it. He said, that made me sick. Mm. I went, what do you mean? And he goes, well, anyone that looks at the book of Genesis knows you can't shoehorn evolution into it. Mm. He goes, I totally disagree with your point of view. <laughs> but at least you're consistent. <laughs> and so, you know, here's this guy in the sauna, this pastor trying to build a bridge right. with this guy who wasn't having it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just think that's oftentimes what we get into. We yeah. sell out 
the clear teaching of God's Word, uh, what God's Word says in uh, its grammatical, literal, and historical context, because we want to be liked. Yeah. Or we think, if I do this, then they will come over to my side. Yeah. Well, here's a newsflash. They ain't coming over to our side. Right, right. That's just how it works. That's right. So tell the truth. Trust God's word. Realize the Holy Spirit has to be the one that opens their eyes. Yeah. And uh, we leave that in God's hands. Yeah. You know, if we're faithful to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, yeah. uh, without uh, apology, I mean, not in the sense of not doing apologetics, but uh, really a, a very slippery slope that I see a lot of Christians and sometimes even apologists get on mm. is this idea that, uh, well, if uh, I'm going to reach non-believers, I've got to uh, come at it from their point of view and from their frame of reference. And so I'm going to throw out things like uh, the idea of the uh, infallibility and inerrancy of Scripture, mm. so that, that I don't have to fight that battle, and I can right. I can just talk about. It. But but sooner or later you just realize that you've destroyed your own foundation. Yeah. And people ultimately don't respect it. Right. Yeah. So, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Well, thank you for that question again, uh, Christian but skeptical woman. Um, hope that helps you out with that. We have a question from from Crystal, Crystallized Coyote CC over here. Um, how does one deal with overcoming the struggle of being perfectionistic? Being perfectionistic. How can we overcome that struggle? Well, I think the main struggle for the perfectionistic mindset is a very self-focused or a self-idealized view of how you ought to behave. Yeah. When someone's saying, well, I could have done that better or oh, that wasn't good enough, I'm the focus. My execution of it didn't fit into what I know what else I could have done better. Mm. And I'm basically constantly drawing the attention back to myself and saying, I didn't act like me. I need to be more like me. And, and Jesus maybe can someday fit in that too, but I'm more looking at the, the Jesus-like Sean rather than the actual Sean that's doing the things that aren't perfect. When it comes to this, and I'll just be honest, it's an attitude of pride, uh, this perspective of saying that I ought to be better than I am, that's positive, but what is the better? And the best way to overcome that is if actual definition of perfect itself, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, despising the cross, or um, who uh, endured the cross, despising the shame, has what? Sat down at the right hand of the glory of God. So if that's our ideal, and that is our image of perfection, then you're not going to find the always, ironically enough, accompanying shame that comes with not living up to being yourself, because you are yourself, and the frustration there is, I should have been that. Whereas the Christian perspective, the actual perfectionist, is going to look at Jesus and say, I can't do that. Holy Spirit, equip me. Because oftentimes, even in the moments where we are acting like Jesus, we're so focused on him that we don't notice. And then we don't have to deal with the, oh, I could have done that better. No, it's just saying, oh, hey, Lord, isn't that fun? So I'd say that, focus on Jesus rather than on the super ideal version of yourself and you avoid the, uh, the Freudian nonsense that accompanies what's oftentimes uh, caricatured as perfectionistic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, that perfectionism is something I've struggled with, I think, pretty much all my life. Mm -hmm. um, one of the uh, two ways that I've tried to manage life without God 
has been through approval seeking and perfectionism. Um, you know, again, we were uh, really exhorted uh, to uh, perform well in school and in athletics and everything else like that. And uh, oftentimes, uh, it was interesting. It was almost like uh, you ended up feeling loved when you would achieve something. Right. But if you didn't achieve something, then not so much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I first became a Christian, uh, the, the thing that really drew me to a saving knowledge of Jesus, uh, CC, uh, was the idea that God loved me unconditionally, independent of my performance. Uh, you know, the, the, the moment uh, where the gospel really came together for me was uh, hearing a song that said, Jesus came into the world to show us the way and set us all free. And when he died, he was saying, I love you. He was dying for me when I was at my worst. He was dying for me. He loved me even though I'd rejected him and made life difficult for the, the people that believed in him. And and that was just overwhelming to me. And, and uh, I, you know, it just drew me to God like a magnet, the idea of the unconditional love of God. Well, one of the things that I really struggled with in my walk with God was uh, that's what drew me to the Lord. But uh, boy, those old lessons, they die hard. They're kind of you know, programmed into us, you know, and uh, it wasn't very long before I'd remade God into a 700-foot-tall representation of a critical parent I could never please. You know, God loved me when I was performing, and if I didn't perform yeah. up to specs or if, heaven forbid, I stumbled, then, you know, God's kind of got his arms folded and shaking his head and going, oh, you know. And, and, and the, the problem with that is it's not the God of the Bible. And uh, the Lord let me play out the string of performance-based Christianity. I did a lot of wonderful things for the kingdom. Uh, but a lot of it was that attempt to justify myself by my own behavior. And, uh, you know, it's a long, involved story. But the Lord allowed my life just to go totally nuclear with the main point of showing to me that uh, I wasn't in the kingdom because I was a credit to it. Uh, you know, I could have explained the concept of grace to you on a chalkboard in the Greek, but uh, I wasn't living it. And, and God had to pretty much level my life uh, to get me to a place where I really understood that uh, if righteousness comes from the law, Christ died needlessly. Mm. You know, and that really stuck in my heart because when I tend to go back in that direction, when I tend to feel I had a good day because I performed this and I did this and I did this, uh, and you know, and yet there's kind of this emptiness that's involved with that, this yeah. kind of uh, kind of emptiness of soul that we feel in the midst of kind of like, oh, that's a relief. I got through another day and I didn't blow it, or you know, I didn't. The the um, fascinating thing to me is that the Lord will tap me on the shoulder and uh, remind me. Uh, that uh, when I fall into that, what I'm saying is, is that uh, Jesus didn't need to die for me. Mm. I right. can hold up my end of the bargain. Yeah. And uh, I never want to say that. Yeah. You know. So coming back to the cross and understanding the enormity of Jesus' sacrifice, you know, it tends to put us in our proper place. I think. Yeah. And you've shared, you know, I don't mind sharing because I know you have even from the pulpit. <coughs> your your dad came to the Lord. You know, I mean deathbed pretty much to right at the end of his yeah you know, towards his, the end of his life, life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um and i know when you made that decision to go into ministry it, it was a you it was a big disappointment to yeah. your dad so that must oh, have yeah. been a real pivotal point um if you were 
you know, kind of living to please your dad and your parents to, to decide to do something so against what your dad wanted for you. Oh, yeah. He, he told me, and this was a quote at that time, that I was a complete disappointment to him as a well, son. And when you're a, <laughs> a approval seeker yeah. and a perfectionist, what does that make you? A perfect <laughs> approval seeker. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you're a, a golden retriever on steroids. Yeah. And uh, but I really believe the Lord brought me to that place where it was kind of like, okay, am I enough for you? Mm. Um, is it is is following me going to be worth it? Yeah. And I'm here to tell you it is. It, it was really funny before my dad passed away, I had a conversation with him, and and I said to him, you know, if I'd done what you wanted me to do, and hadn't gone say into the ministry, if I'd gone into law, I said, do you think you really would have respected that decision? Hmm. And he kind of thought about it. He sort of smiled at me and, and he goes, oh, probably not. Hmm. So it's just funny, you know, these fallen simple strategies we have, like perfectionism and approval seeking, yeah. um, we think they're going to get us where we want to go, but yeah. they're, they're self defeating. Yeah. Yeah. So many of us haven't experienced that kind of love and grace until we come to know. God, you know, yeah. we, we fail yeah. as parents and our <coughs> parents fail us and on it goes. So, yeah. well, Cece, hope that, um, sorry, Sean, you, you, anything else to add to that? No. Um, thank you, Cece, for that qu great question. Hope that helps you out. Um, hope that um, helps you overcome some of these things as you just serve with uh, peace in your life in that. A uh, question from Yari here, um, chariot of fire, Elijah was taken up to heaven. Is that a literal or symbolic or something else, the, the chariot, as, as far as that? Question from Yari. Why would it be symbolic? You know, a chariot going up to heaven is a bit far-fetched, no? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, people will say that, uh, obviously. but uh, I represent the people. But there's, <laughs> there's no indication in the text that describes uh, Elijah's departure that uh, anything else was in view there yeah. uh, you know again God even told or Elijah even told Elisha that if you are there and you see me when I depart from here so uh, visual yeah, encounter visual. something that wouldn't be interpreted by him it would be just there to yeah. him you know and some people you know they, there's the movie Chariots of Fire and you know he's always oh, just Elijah it's just this uh, wonderful exemplary life and sort of a glorious thing that that you go out like that. No, in fact, Elijah was taken into heaven with a fiery chariot. And we <laughs> see them appear again in Elisha's ministry when the Syrian soldiers were there to assassinate him. What did right. he say when he said there are more for us than against us? He was surrounded by chariots, plural, of fire. And then when they tried to charge and take him out because he was leaking all this military information to the king of Israel, he said what? Let them be blinded. That wasn't a symbolic and like saying, oh, he gave such a riotous speech that they just like didn't know why they were fighting or something. No, they were literally blinded because of a literal presence of heavenly creatures yeah. that were described literally as chariots of fire. Yeah. And, and here's kind of the tricky part, I think, that a passage like this brings up is, is that we believe in a literal, historical, grammatical interpretation of the Bible. Mm. We're appropriate. Uh, we, we, we often say, uh, you know, when the literal, when the the natural sense, the, the plain sense, makes sense, seek no other sense. Mm. Uh, and you know, by literal, what I mean is not wooden. We take a look at the kind of literature it is. 
whether it's writing poetry, whether it's prophecy, whether it's historical narrative. And when you're dealing with historical narrative, you're dealing with historical facts. Hmm. You're dealing with things that are obviously supernatural, but are being reported uh, because this is what, in fact, happened. Uh, when we take a look at the account of Elijah going into heaven, we don't find it in poetry. We don't find it in even a prophetic book, although prophetic books do have uh, historical narrative in them. We find it in a book that gives us a historical narrative right. uh, of the life of Elijah. And if you say, well, that was just symbol symbolic, uh, where do you stop? You know, was the... Yeah. Uh, fire coming down from heaven on the sacrifice on Mount Carmel, symbolic, seemed rather literal. <laughs> under, under the Did God literally create the heavens and the earth, or right. is everything we see an illusion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, when we say the the we we take the literal, grammatical, historical approach to interpreting the Bible. What we're trying to do is we're trying to read out of the Bible. Mm -hmm not read into it yeah. as much as possible. Now we all do that, you yeah. know, nobody is 100% perfect uh, as far as these things are concerned, but that's our goal, that is our desire. Yeah. Not to overlay on the Bible, you know, say, you know, my background or my his, my biases or, you know, the, uh, the things that I would expect to see in life. Yeah. Um, you know, again, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and it's just funny when people fall into that trap, they end up creating more problems than they solve. Uh, you yeah. know, there's some who say, well, when Jesus walked in the water, he was just walking on a sandbar. Right. And the disciples mistook that. Now, yeah. I've read that in a Christian commentary. Yeah. Uh, well, the problem is, um, first of all, Jesus walked in the water, and when Peter tried to do it, he sank. Yep. It wasn't because he missed the sandbar. Yeah. It's because there was a it's deliberate reference to the Psalms, knowing the Lord's the one who walks on the waves. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. So, with the literal sense, makes sense. Seek your own right. There's a bit of a theme today of yeah, that, of exactly. God, God being supernatural, above yeah. his ways and thoughts are above ours. Yeah, and allowed you know. to be. And yeah. I'm, yes, yeah. and I'm glad. Yeah, me too. Because <laughs> my thoughts are dumb sometimes. So yeah. thank you for being part of the show. <laughs> we'll see you again same time, same place tomorrow. Same faces too, I think. God yeah. bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.